0: Open, please, your Bibles to chapter 12 in the Gospel of Luke, 41 to 48, under the heading, from those to whom much is given, much is expected. couple things to remember. This is a sermon. You say, well, I know. I know you're preaching a sermon. No, 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 not my sermon. This is Jesus' sermon. It starts in verse 1 of chapter 12 and it extends all the way to chapter 13, verse 9, remember? So when we come to you with a message each week, we talk about keeping the message in its context, right? Always have to preach in context. It's even all the more important when you see it coming out of a sermon. Sermon on the Mount, all of it's tied in. This is one of those sermons. We had the Sermon on the Plain earlier in Luke. This is a sermon. So Jesus is putting all of this together for us, which is working its way to its climax. And all sermons climax where? In Christ. All of them do. That's that's the preaching of the whole counsel of God. What has God in Christ provided for you that you could not provide for yourself? So this is a powerful passage. We've talked about the, the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, the parable of the rich fool who wanted bigger barns instead of a bigger heart talked about the witness of worry. Talked about treasure hunting. We talked about the witness of watching. Now, Jesus brings us to this portion of the sermon. And he makes a few points which we'll unpack and then he says, "From those to whom much is given, much is <clears throat> expected." Got a question for you. With the resurgent over the last Really, almost two decades of the Marvel comic movie genres and all the superheroes. Think of some of the superheroes. If you could have any superhero power, because this passage is all about power. If you could have any superhero power, Jackie, what would it be? I'll tell you mine at the very end. You think of some of the superheroes, right? Iron Man. Captain America, right? Hulk, that, that, Hulk is my guy, why? Hulk, smash, that's all he does. When the only tool in your toolbox is a hammer, you treat everything like a nail, that's all. Boom! So I like Hulk. I'm for Hulk. But if, but if I could have a superpower, I'm going to tell you mine at the end, I want you to think about yours as we walk through the passage. Ready? Let's hear now the word of God. Peter asked, Lord, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? The Lord answered, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. I tell you the truth. He will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose the servant says to himself, my master is taking a long time in coming. And he then begins to beat the men servants and the maidservants and to eat and to drink and to get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. That servant who knows his master's will and does not get ready or does not do what his master wants will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not know and does things deserving of punishment will be beaten with few blows. From everyone whom has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. And may God add His rich blessing to His inspired and errant and fall of Lord. Let's pray together. Father, it is no accident that we are here. Everyone by divine appointment, which means you have something to speak into each heart. Regardless of age or station in life, speak now through this broken vessel and speak only your words from this pulpit. Make it a word of salvation for the unsaved. Everyone within the sound of my voice, whether in this sanctuary or by way of the internet, live streaming, raise them from death to life. Give the gift of repentance and faith. Show them the love of God in Christ Jesus. For those in storm winds, make it a word of comfort. And for those who are tired and weary and heavy laden, a word of rest. All things to all people that some might be saved. Come, give us ears to hear, minds to understand, and hearts that beat for nothing smaller than Christ. Meet us in our deepest place of need. Come now, fount of every blessing. Unclutter our minds and unburden our hearts that we might see Jesus and Him only. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said. Okay, three simple things under the heading. We're going to run right through it all the way to the end. Number one, the person. Who is Jesus speaking about? The purpose. Why is He speaking it? And then, of course, what's the power? That's what this is. What is the power? We have to understand the power that God has given us to change to serve, to grow, to mature. What is the power? What we'll do is we'll unpack just very, very briefly the passage because it all ties in beautifully to verse 48. So we'll just run through it quickly and then hit our three points, okay? Number one here, we're going to take a look at verse 42. Who then is faithful and wise? Sometimes we come to Scripture and we ask what's not there. Notice what it doesn't say. Who then is fruitful? Who is the fruitful and wise manager? What has God called us to? Faithfulness. Who's responsible for the fruit? God. Paul said what? Paul planted and I watered, but God supplied the increase. We will be fruitful through faithfulness, but we're not called to that. We leave the results up to God. Our focus is to be faithful to the call that God has given to us. Who then is the faithful and wise manager? Moving on. That servant whom the master finds doing so. What does so mean? We have to define doing so whatever he has been instructed to do. So if you're his, you have been given a call from God to serve him. Wherever you are, doing whatever you do. So who then is fa- Who is the faithful and wise manager? We're all over someone, some things. It's the one who is doing what the master has said. And then what will the master do? Okay, I want you to see these things in this order. Take take a look at this. We see reliability in 42. We we see responsibility in 43. And then we're going to see now accountability coming in 44 and 45. He's going to put him in charge of all of his possessions. What What is the great possession that you've been given? We preached it last week. It's the kingdom of God. You're not given a place just in the kingdom. You're not given a portion of the kingdom. You're given the kingdom of God. What does that mean? When you have been saved and raised from death to life, you've been brought back into the garden, into the pre-sin state of Adam and Eve. What was the life of Adam and Eve supposed to look like? Having been made by God for God, what was their life supposed to look like? The borders of their lives were to expand to the boundaries of God's kingdom. Remember that? But what did they do? They shrunk the size of their lives down to the size of their lives and they chose to rebel and sin against God. When you've been redeemed and raised from death to life, guess what happens to your life? The borders of your life once again expands to what? The boundaries of God's kingdom. What does that mean? What he cares for, you care for. What he loves, you love. What breaks his heart breaks your heart. This is the power of understanding this. But now we're going to see what we call the cosmic contrast. Ready? 45 and 46. But always be careful of biblical buts. This is real. You need, it caused you to pause for a moment. Because there's a, there's, a, there's a stark contrast that Jesus is preaching about. Remember, who's Jesus speaking to? His disciples primarily, right? So who's he speaking to today? His disciples. Are you his disciple? He's speaking to your heart. 2,000 years later, the word is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. It's speaking into your life right now. But the servant, and we just need to kind of run through the language that beats the servants and and eats and drinks and gets drunk. What he's really saying is this is the, the persecution of God's people. So whoever's doing that, the master will come unexpected. Then this is really a powerful statement, and I just want to unpack it. We'll cut him to pieces. There's no way to change that language from the original language. That, that's, that's what Jesus says. Church tradition tells us when Isaiah was put to death, prophet Isaiah, he was cut in half. Remember in Hebrews? Hebrews chapter, 13, chapter 11, I believe it is. It talks about what? Those who have been sawn in half. That was a way in, in that ancient world, and, and, and thankfully that's not, Typical today. But in the ancient world, that's how criminals and those who you hated, those who were under your, your authority and, and wronged you, were put to death. Many, were, they were cut in half. So this is G- what is, has what is, what is Jesus just done? He's spoken into the cultural context. How do you share Jesus today? You need to speak into the cultural context. You can't speak church language to them. Why? They're not churched. So you got to speak their language. So Jesus is speaking to his audience. His audience understood what that meant. The master comes back and finds you not doing what you've been called to do. Not doing. You've heard the gospel call. You've not responded to that. Boom. Cut into pieces. So it's, it's, that's called judgment. The judgment of God. The master will come on unexpected, cut him to pieces, and assign him a place with the unbelievers. What's that? Okay, that's, that's the, the final day. That's the judgment when Jesus comes back and puts all of his enemies under his, under his feet. That servant who knows, here it is, he amps it up. The servant who knows, there's two levels. The one who doesn't know is going to get a few blows. That's the one who doesn't. But the one who knows and, and, and does not get ready, you have heard the call. You, have, you know the responsibility, and you refuse. You've let it go. What, what happened in Israel the time that Jesus was there? The Jewish religion, religion had become apostate. They no longer were following God. It started out well. They loved God. They followed God. They served God. It was all about God. By the time Jesus shows up, who's it about? Them. God is as far as the east is from the west. For many of them, not all of them, but certainly for many and certainly for the religious leaders that were dogging every step Jesus took. So he's speaking now very specifically to those, who, 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 to, those to whom much has been given. And then in verse 48, let me just make a quick comment. People say, well, you know, I, I don't understand this God of yours. Why, why can't God just, if God's God, he can, he can just forgive well, you don't you don't understand what you're asking. Well explain it to me. You don't understand what you don't understand the concept of forgiveness. So let me make it personal. I borrow twenty dollars from you. Or Nestor, let me have twenty. I'm gonna go have lunch today. I'm gonna go to gonna go have some chips and salsa for lunch. Can I have twenty? I say I pay you next week. Next week comes, I don't pay him back. Two or three weeks come by and 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 he says, you know, it's no big deal, you keep it. He forgave the debt. He just forgave it. But who paid? Ernesto paid. Why? He's out 20. Let me make forgiveness crystal clear. Somebody has to pay. So make it personal in your own personal relationship. Husbands and wives and parents and children. Someone's going to pay. So when you choose not to forgive, what are you demanding from the person that you have denied forgiveness to? You demand that they pay. You pay. I'm not forgiving you. And what have we said many times? Unforgiveness does more damage to the vessel in which it is stored than the object upon which it is poured. But if you choose to forgive, and forgiveness is not an option, correct? Trust is different. We talk about that later. But forgiveness is not an option. If you forgive, who paid down the debt? You did understand how it works? Someone has to pay. So in order for sin to be forgiven, someone must pay. Why? God is not just loving and kind and merciful. He's just. Doesn't your heart beat for justice? Of course it does. When? Every time you see something in the world that is unjust, your heart cries out and says, this is wrong. This has to be made right. Your heart beats for that. Why? You're an image bearer of God. God is just. Forgiveness is offered. But who, so, so God says what to you? You pay? No. My son, my son has paid for you. The debt has been paid. You now receive that grace. It's important that we get that, okay? Then verse 48. From everyone whom has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. Okay. You remember back in 1978, and I think they're doing a resurgence of another movie about this guy again. Remember Jim Jones, the People's Temple Cult, 78? 918 of his followers drank the Kool-Aid and died. 303 were kids. That was his prescription for those he had been given authority, those who had been entrusted to his care, this cult. And how does he go out? Puts a bullet in his head. He doesn't even drink it. To those to whom much has been given, much will be required and expected. This happens all over the world, all the time. This is a biblical, and I'm going to show you at the end how powerful the biblical statement is. Okay, you ready? Launching out into deep water. Very briefly, three quick points. The person, number one. Who is the person who's been given much? Answer, everyone. Both rich and poor. Sometimes people say, well, I don't have much. What did we talk about? What did we talk about in treasure hunting? It's not what you hold in your hands, right? It's what you hold in your heart. So everybody, everyone, especially in this nation, everyone has been given much. But every single person alive has been given much. The breath, the heartbeat, all of those good gifts that God gives to everyone. So the passage is speaking to everyone. Now we're going to break it down into two categories of everyone. Everyone, number one, by first birth. That's called natural talent. You have talents, don't you? Yes, you do. Take a look at Exodus 35, 10. All, circle the word all. All who are skilled among you are to come and to make everything the Lord has commanded. So all of you are skilled. What are you skilled at? Do you know we have a quilting ministry? If you're not in it and you can sew, guess what? Get in it. We have all sorts of opportunities to serve, to use what? Skills and, and talents and abilities. And where do all of these come from? It's the first birth, it's, it's, it's the natural birth, but all of it comes from God. You can work on those talents, you can strengthen those talents, you can work on, on those abilities and strengthen them, but they all come from, from God, and all of us have them. And God says, you have a responsibility, everyone, unbelievers and believers alike, you have a responsibility to put what I've given to you into my service. Maybe you're gifted in, 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 in numbers. Maybe you're gifted in, in cooking, and you're gifted in, in, in administration. I mean, you can go down the list of the different skills and, and, and abilities that you have, but all of it is from God and to be given back to Him. But now we have a second level, which changes the whole thing, because now God is speaking to whom? Those who have been given a second birth. You must be born again. Have you been born again? Well, now this is a spiritual gift. This just ups the ante. Ready for this? 1, 1 Corinthians 12, 7. Now to each one, the ma- each one, who? Each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for what purpose? And we'll get deeper in that in a moment. The common good. So you have been given a gift. You say, oh, pastor, I, I don't think I have a gift. Yes, you do. Let me add one more. 1 Peter 4, 10. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. Uh Uh-oh, star the next word. It doesn't say fruitfully. What does it say? Faithfully using God's grace in its various forms. We're back to the beginning. What are we called to be, fruitful or faithful? Faithful. And out of our faithfulness, God will do what? Make us fruitful as he determines. So you've been given a gift. Many people, you know what they they say to me, Coach, I'm not sure of my gift, and I'm not really sure where I should get plugged in. I want to take some of those spiritual inventory gift tests first and get it all figured out, and then I'll get plugged in. I say, why wait? Just get plugged in and let's see what works. He he said, well, how do I know where? Well, let's start checking things off the list. So next Sunday, come here, meet with the leadership team. Let's get you all plugged in and set up. And listen, spend the morning in the nursery. And when you come out of the nursery after 12 crying babies have the hair on the back of your neck standing up, you can check that off your list. So I'm not called to the nursery. I got no interest in that nursery. Them screaming babies. None. God couldn't God has not called me to I have I do not have that gift. Excellent. Now we've narrowed the field of vision. And we go to the next place. What's the goal? Plug in until you Light up. There's a spot for you. Why? I always ask the kids jokingly, how many extra Christians has God made? Well, that's silly, right? None. So you're needed. You're valuable. We're all diminished if you don't put in. You didn't come here just to be fed. Why was Abraham blessed? To be a blessing to others. The more you have, the more you're in debt to the one, God, the one who's given it to you. That's, that's the power of understanding the gospel. So plug in. Plug in until you light up. You'll, you'll get it figured out, and you'll find the stuff that you say, oh, man, I've got no interest. I, lo- I love the nursery. I love the nursery. I love walking right by the nursery. <laughs> Whoo! No, I do. I love walking right by. Now, on Wednesday nights, when they're a little bit older, right, you get in, I get that little runaway bride. I get to get, get her in that room. I get some of the kids. I like that. I love the student ministries. But, you know, there's spots that fit for me. I'm not a quilter. I can't, I can't do that. I have no interest in that. I can't do that. But we have a spot. What's your spot? You want, you want to know the intersection of life that we all should be living at? Where the world's greatest need meets your strongest passion. That's the intersection of life. Why? Because that's where you're wired. And God says, that's where I'll get the most from you. Because you're passionate about it. It, 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 it. it just gets you up early and it keeps you up late. That's the kingdom. So we see the person. Every one of you are needed. Number two, purpose. Colossians three twenty-three and 24. Whatever you do. What? Whatever you do, doesn't matter where you work, doesn't matter what field you're in, doesn't matter if it's a weekend you're out on the water or you're out golfing, whatever Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. We've talked about this at other times in Romans. There really is a reward place. It's called the Bemis Seat of Rewards. There's a judgment place, but there's a reward place. You're going to be rewarded for what you do. Now, I know we're going to cast all those crowns at the feet of Jesus, but just think about that. God not only calls you, then he equips you, and he's responsible for the fruitfulness, and then he rewards it on top of it. Man, what a deal. It's God's plan for his people. Since you know that you'll receive a reward, it is the Lord Christ. So, regardless of where you work and who signs your check, who are you working for? The Lord. They say, well, if I were just in, in full time ministry, newsflash, you are. You know what the reformers back in the 1500s, you know what they really brought back into the church that was really needed? It was called, this is, it's a term, but it's simple to, it's called the priesthood of all believers. You know what that means? You're a priest. You're, 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 you're called by God. It's not just the people up in the front. Not just the praise team up there. Everyone's called. To do what? Whatever God's called you to do. Whatever he's gifted you to do. Whatever you're passionate about doing. All of us are in ministry. And all of it's full time. You could use the category, well, some is professional. Okay, you can use that category. But all of us are full time in ministry. If we are doing what God has called us to do. So whether you're a butcher, baker, or a candlestick maker, it's, it's for the glory of God if you're serving God. That's all. You see that? Everybody, people say, well, if I were just in the church, yeah, give me give you another newsflash. You are the church. There's no being in the church. You're the church. And let me tell you something. Your, your place isn't in here. It's out there. My responsibility is to equip the saints for what? The works of ministry. That's what my calling is, to equip all of us. But our goal is to get out and tell them about Christ. Tell them about this Jesus, okay? Continuing to move, check this out. Three areas that have come out of the preaching of Jesus. We'll be very brief. Number one, time. How ma- I've asked this in all three services. I've asked this, this is the third time I'll ask, and I've asked it before. How many hours in a week? Gotcha again. I keep getting, it's 168. How many hours a week are you supposed to be watching for the return of Jesus? Well, someone says, well, last night, well, I can't be doing when I'm sleeping. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Listen, listen, before you go to bed, instead of watching those crazy movies, read a little bit of the scriptures, and you'll be dreaming about him when you're in bed. And you'll be watching for Jesus even when you're sleeping. 24-7, you're supposed to be watching for what? The return. He said he's coming back. And I won't go back to that movie clip, because we have one for you today. But we'll leave that one alone. It will be good. What did Jesus say in verse 37? It will blessed are those who... Whose master finds them watching when he comes. What does that mean? That you live in the light of eternity. You live with the expectation that Jesus is actually coming back. We used to use this from a negative person, And that's fine. Positive negative is good. right? depends on how kids are motivated, especially when we were, we're training them and we're coaching them, and especially my own children. So sometimes use a little negative motivation. And we say, listen, listen, listen. You don't want to be caught doing something you shouldn't do when Jesus returns. Give him a little healthy fear. But now we flip it around. Wouldn't it be awesome when Jesus returns that you're doing exactly what he's called you to do? Wouldn't that be a neat place to be? That's what I want. That's, that's what we all should want. We, here's a term we use. Think of Jesus as a good finder. We're all, we're all bad finders, right? It's easy to find stuff that our, our, our spouse or our children, what they're not doing. You're not doing this. You're not doing this. You're not doing this. How about being a good finder? Find what they're doing right. Jesus, Let's have Jesus come back when we're doing exactly what he's called us to do. That's what it means to watch. That's what it means to be watching. But we're not navel gazers. right? We're not, we're not Acts 111 men of Galilee who are looking up Jesus' left, and the angels came and said, what are you doing? Because after you watch, now that you're in a, you're in a state of watching, you're in a perpetual state of readiness for his return, now what? you got to work. Now you got to go to working. So the next part is working. Luke 12, 43. It will be good for the servant whom the master finds doing so. Doing what? Doing exactly what he's called you to do. What has God called you to do? That's between you and God. You've got to figure that out. Just plug in and figure it out. So we have watching, we have working, and now we have witnessing. Ready for witnessing? We could unpack this a thousand different ways because this comes under the heading treasure. Many people think we're only talking about money with treasure. We're not talking about that. Everything is a treasure. Everything is a gift from God. So now we're going to look at witnessing and what was Paul talking about under the heading of witnessing, Philippians 3.8. I consider everything a loss because of what? The surpassing worth of Christ. What was most valuable in Paul's life? Jesus. But here's the question, because this is going to tie in as we get to the, towards the end. Why was Jesus most valuable in Paul's life? Because Paul knew what he was when he was Saul. Who was, who was Saul? He was a murderer. He was a persecutor of the church. And now as Paul, what's happened to his heart? He's overwhelmed that Jesus would save him. He says, there's even a place for me in the kingdom. He knows who he was. He knows what he was doing. Probably isn't anybody in here who was living that kind of life. And I'm not talking about it from a a Sermon on the Mount perspective that if you've, you've had anger in your heart, you've murdered. I'm talking about real murder. He was a murderer. He persecuted the church, and Jesus raised him from death to life, and he knew it, and he lived in the truth of that reality every single moment. I consider everything garbage that I may gain Christ. He already had Christ, so what does he, what, is he possibly, what, I, what do you mean gain him? I want to gain a greater portion. I want to love him more. I want to serve him more. I want to experience him more. To live as Christ, to die is That's Paul. But Paul knew who he was. If we don't know who we are, it's hard to really understand the surpassing greatness of Christ. If you don't see yourself for what you truly are, then then the crucifixion really doesn't seem that great. But when you realize what, what you were, you realize where you were headed and what God in Christ has done, it changes everything. So there's the power of, of, of understanding, okay? Watching, working, and witnessing, and now number three. How, how do we do it, right? You get to the practical, how do, how do I do this? How do I give the much that is expected, pastor? 1 John 4, 4. Greater is he who is in you than the one who is in the world. Pause. What does that mean? That means the same power that raised Jesus from death to life is the same power that's in you right now if you're his. You understand what that means? That means no weapon formed against you can prevail. Why? Greater is the power that is at work within you than the power that is at work within the world. That's the foundation of understanding how we can ever begin to do what God has called us to do. We have this power that has been entrusted to us that we have been called to steward. Okay? Stay with me now. We're going to go a little deeper. Romans 6:6. The body ruled by sin, we were crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin. So what now is Paul telling us? We're no longer slaves to sin, right? We have this power that has, has, has redeemed us. We have a power that has changed us from the inside out, has raised us from death to life, and gives us the strength to do what God has called us to do. Do you agree with all of that? Okay, so now we have to ask the hard question. Ready for the hard question? If all that's true, then why do we still sin? And now we'll get to the answer, which is the truth we hate. Beginning with me. Because we love it. You say, where do you get that from? I get it from my own heart. And you get it from your own heart. And it comes right out of Scripture. Listen to this. We give in to sin because at the moment we find it attractive or advantageous, pleasurable or profitable. Yes or no? Nod your heads. Okay? Okay? Listen, look at it this way. I want you to think about this. Think, just, just think of a, not out loud, don't do, you're, on, you're, you're live, don't, don't do anything silly. <laughs> think about some sins. Think about some. Think about some sins over here that you go, I have, I'm have. i not gonna fall into any of that. Why? It's not attractive to you. It's not drawing your heart. Your heart isn't beating there. But think of some of these things over here that you go, oh, 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 Sin is attractive. Some sins. And they attract the heart. Why? Because even though sin no longer reigns, it still remains. That old sin nature is still inside of each and every one of us after Jesus has raised us from death to life. That's why Some people come to me so broken and so defeated and say, you know what, I'm, I'm probably not his. You couldn't even ask that question if you weren't his. Because you're under the conviction of the Holy Spirit and you do some stuff you ought not to do. We all do it. So we have to find the power To be able to continue to fight and to resist what? The devil and sin. So now, let's make it clear that it's biblical. John 3, 19. Jesus says there's a verdict that's in. This isn't just about the unbeliever. Light has come into the world. But people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. So we have that in our heart. This is part of the the nature that we still have to fight against. It all would have been a whole lot easier for all of us if Jesus would have saved us like the good thief on the cross. Today you'll be with me in paradise. You would have had no fight. And before Jesus, if you were saved as an adult, isn't this true? There was no battle before Jesus showed up. Why? You were on the throne. It's a good place to be, isn't it? Well, sort of. Well, it was for me. I love being on the throne. I love being the king. Now I was a king. But Jesus shows up, removes you from the throne. Now there's this what? There's this battle. Because now for the first time, is the great quote from Dr. Kennedy, God changes what? You're a wanter. You start wanting stuff you never wanted before. And you stop wanting some things you used to want. Wanter begins to change by the power of the Spirit. But we still are in a fight. And we're still in a battle. That's why what? That's why we have to be watching, working, and witnessing. That's the power. All of those three come together. Okay, you ready for this? It's not that we don't love Jesus. Do you love him? It's just at the moment we love sin more. That's all. So at least you understand that's the issue. We love Jesus. But at the moment, we make a decision. You're stuck on the horns of a dilemma. What will I do? Wherever you go, that's what you love most in that moment. That's that's just it. So, husbands and wives, you're, you're, you got a little conflict. You got to go you, wherever you go. In, the, in that moment, is what you love most. If it's all about winning the argument, then, that, then that's what you love most. Or is it all about coming together with the grace of the gospel and forgiveness and love and working through it? Then that's what then, then you love Christ. Either you sit on the throne or Jesus sits on the throne. It's the only two options. It's that simple. Never changes. Only two options. It's, there aren't a thousand things for you to think about. All you have to do is ask the question: Who's sitting on the throne right now? If I move in this direction, who's on the throne? Okay? 19th century Scottish preacher, Thomas Chalmers. I have brought him to your attention many times. Many, after both services, have asked, where can I find this sermon? You can simply Google online, the expulsive power of a new affection. This is the key. I'm going to give you just one quote. Now, if you go home and you Google and you read it, you'll go, man, this is tough sledding. It is. You know what it is? It's, it's Star Wars Yoda-like language. It's that, you know, it is. It's, it's not easy to read, but, but you need to read it because... It is the strongest, probably, sermon, I think, that maybe has ever been preached. If we're going to have an understanding of how to conquer sin, how do we do it? It's the expulsive power of a new affection. Here's what he says. There is not one of these transformations in which the heart is left without an object. Its desire for one particular object may be conquered. But as to its desire for having some object or other, that is unconquerable. Pause. What is he saying? Your heart has to have a desire that it beats for. So we, we often, right, if we're dealing with, let's say, an issue. Somebody's wheels are coming off the tracks and they're getting ready to go over the cliff. You step in immediately and you do what? Tell, change behavior instantly. That's not a bad thing. Self-discipline in in that moment, self-will, change the behavior, stop. But long-term, that doesn't work. Behavior modification is not heart transformation. It's never enough to just change behavior. Why? The heart has to be transformed and begin to beat for something other than the self. Changing behavior is a good thing. A lot of behaviors need to be changed. But in order for it to be lasting, it has to come from where? God. The heart has to be changed. And that only comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. Chalmers was right. Your heart's beating. What's your heart beating for? It's beating for something. People tell me all the time, I don't do that. I stop this. I stop this. I stop this. What did you start doing? You've got to fill that void or something's going to fill it. back to the passage just three examples in the passage what what filled the hearts of the pharisees the pharisees loved themselves most how about the rich fool remember remember it's not, he loved his wealth most it's not what you have some people have a fortune and they can't give it away they give it with both hands it's not what you have it's what has you I've said that so many times in the family now when we're pulling into a parking lot and you see one of them cars parking over two spots. Tank goes, oh, Dad, he's living for the car, huh? I said, yeah, back in the day, I'd do something I shouldn't be thinking about today. <laughs> Taking two spots with a car. What? The car has possessed the heart. He should have been looking for bigger heart than a bigger barn. So his affection, so it's but it's not what you have. Some people don't have much, and they're just so angry. So tight. It's what has your heart. The widow gave what? The most because she gave all she had. Her heart was beating for God. And finally, the worry warts. You, you, ever, you ever heard that phrase? You ever we talked about worry. When you worry, what are you loving? The world. This world. 1 John 4.14 says, For Christ's love compels us. Does Christ's love compel you? That's the question before the house. So now we've seen this insurgence of the Marvel comics, right? On screen. 2002 version of Spider-Man. Toby Maguire played the role of Peter Parker. But I want to frame it first just before you see this. What he says what's said in that movie what was in the 1962 comic strip comes right out of Luke 12:48 What comes out of Luke 12:48 has been said by leaders around the globe since the beginning of time To whom much is given much is required with great power comes great responsibility. We can learn from everything in this world. We have to what? We have to see what our kids are watching. And you teach them to find gospel themes everywhere. So I want you to hear the gospel theme, Luke twelve forty eight in this clip. Whatever life holds in store for me, I will never forget these words. With great power comes great responsibility. So here's the question: So we can learn from Spider-Man today? Because Spider-Man was preaching the gospel. People say, Pastor, why are you? Do-? No, no, no. You're just too tight. You're too tight. Don't be so tight. Spider-Man just preached the gospel. With great power comes great responsibility. Luke 12, 48. What's the greatest power in the universe? God. Who lives in you? God. By the power of the Holy Spirit. And with great power comes what? Great responsibility. That's the gospel. If you've never surrendered control to it, guess what time it is? It's invitation time. With outstretched arms and nail-scarred hands, Jesus says to you, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's not a man-centered work where you come up and, and, and it's the heart that has been stirred by this power of the gospel. And by that same power, your heart is raised from death to life. And by that same power, your heart begins to beat for something other than the self. Isn't that good news? Oh, I wish my heart beat more for him. That's the goal for all of us. So come to Christ. Transfer your trust to Christ alone. Trust not in your own good works. Trust in his. And salvation comes to your heart and your home this day. Pray with me. Father, right now we are going to offer a very simple prayer for those maybe who have never prayed before, whether in this building or by way of the Internet. We're not saved by a prayer. We're not saved by a profession of faith. We're saved by the possession of it. But we believe your spirit was at work today. We believe your spirit broods over and in this place and by, by the preaching of your word into the hearts of those who hear it. So, Father, may they pray. I've heard the truth today. I cannot save myself, and I understand that I am like Paul. I am the chief sinner. God, I transfer my trust to you. I cry out, be merciful to me, a sinner. Give me the gift of repentance and faith. I repent of my sin. I turn from my sin and I turn to you. Not in my strength, because I have no strength to do so. But in this power that you are willing to give to me today and for the rest of eternity. Come to Christ. And Lord, for the rest of us, some who have been walking for decades decades continue to strengthen us in our faith grow us up into christ and send us out into this world to be instruments of both salvation and sanctification in your mighty right hand in Christ's name we pray amen please stand